everyone, and welcome to Objective Health. I'm your host, Tiff, and joining me in the studio, we have Doug, Erica, and Elliot. Hello. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hello. And then in the background, as always, holding it down for us on the ones and twos, we have Damien. Hello. Okay, so for today's show, we're just going to have like a little in the news segment where we discuss some uh, interesting news stories that have come out in recent days. So not all of them are COVID related. Some of them are, but (laughs) (laughs) some of them are. So we have a a little bit of break uh, from talking about the COVID today, (sighs) just a little bit. Um, So why don't we just jump right in? Mm-hmm. And uh, start with one of these uh, special little stories that came out. Of course, everybody is well aware if you've been following the news for the last few years that uh, they want us to eat bugs and die uh, <laughs> or eat fake meat and die. So we did shows before on meat or fake meat or lab grown meat and all the investment opportunities and uh, money that's being poured into this uh, industry because they want to move us away from eating animals because animals are bad for the environment and cows fart. So um, there's an article that was on Medical Express and They found in their uh, study, they did a lab analysis, and surprise, surprise, they found that lab meat and real meat from actual living animals is not nutritionally equivalent. What? (laughs) That's a shock. It's because the fake meat is way more nutritious, right? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, well, (laughs) we'll get to that. (laughs) Uh, So this was uh, an analysis that came out of Duke University. So they uh, studied the nutritional content of plant-based meats. And they used something called melabolomics. Metabolomics. Metabolomics. Which shows how uh, different foodstuffs are uh, taken in by the body, I suppose. So they saw in their analysis that... Uh, the difference was as wide as the difference between plants and animals, surprisingly, because <laughs> they're different. <laughs> plant-based, <laughs> one's plant-based and one's animal-based. So uh, they're talking about how the uh, the makers of these fake meats go through all these, uh, jump through all these hoops to try to make their meat as real tasting and looking as possible. They put all these different types of hemoglobins and soy things and... Um, fibers in it to get it to taste and to look and to feel like meat while you're eating it um but apparently that doesn't work apparently you can't uh duplicate nature in a laboratory surprise surprise but what they did find out is that um they took 18 samples of these plant-based meats and 18 samples of grass-fed ground beef Um, So they they made hamburger patties out of them, and they found that 171 of the 190 metabolites they measured vary between the beef and the the fake beef. Right. So that's pretty, what, like 20, 19 metabolites away from 
being completely a hundred percent different. different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's you know, Ooh. this could be like filed under completely not surprising news. <laughs> Like, yeah. honestly, I don't know what, like, who is fooled by this kind of thing, honestly, to think that these, like, lab-created science experiments are anything close to actual meat. Like, anybody with two firing neurons is going to look at that and be like, that is processed garbage. There's no way that that is as healthy as actual meat. But, and it and it seems like, you know, it, it does seem like the public isn't even really buying it in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Like, you see, at the very beginning of the whole COVID thing, when you saw, like, the meat shelves would be completely cleared out, and they would what? have the fake meat sitting there, like, completely stocked. Like, nobody has touched uh-huh. the stuff. It's like, oh, quick, go to the store. Make sure you grab some fake meat in case there's, like, you know, food shortages. No. Nobody nobody even went to that. It's like, that's not food. Leave that alone. Well, I would venture to guess any of the fake meat that actually gets off the shelves are bought by hardcore vegans or bought by accident because they place them close to the real meat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or people that are willing to try and then never go back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, yeah. the, a bunch of the fast food restaurants that, that would brought these things on. Um, and then shortly after discontinued it just because it wasn't selling. It's like everybody rushes in to try it. So they see these great sales like, Oh, this is great. This is going to be our blockbuster thing. And then it's like, everybody's like, well, I tried it. It wasn't that good. So <laughs> they never go back for it. Uh, I mean, it's pretty predictable, really. Uh, it's definitely not breaking news, this story, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but I think uh, this is good that they did a study on it. I mean, mm-hmm. we could have probably told you the same thing. But um, but I think it highlights uh, some of the issues with how people like the wider population, particularly plant-based advocates, how they, how they view food in general, how they view the nutritional composition of a food. Mm-hmm. Cause if you look at the nutritional composition, there's a couple of different ways to look at it. You can look at it from a very kind of uh, say more superficial level and look at three main components being your macronutrients. So this is your protein, your fat types of fat kind of carbohydrate. And so Many of the advocates for these kind of products will say, okay, well, it contains less fat or it contains less saturated fat, which is supposedly a good thing. It contains exactly the same quantity of total protein, which doesn't really tell you much because protein is a bit of an ambiguous term. You know, there's lots of things which uh, constitute protein. It, It doesn't tell anything about protein quality. Like quantity is different to quality. Um, And they might look at some kind of key vitamins and minerals. What this study is looking at is using a technique called metabolomics. Metabolomics is looking at the very small breakdown products of metabolism and the kind of cofactor nutrients and the amino acids and whatnot, which allow our body to do lots of different things participate in, in metabolism, biochemical reactions and whatnot. And so there's lots of things which aren't on a, uh, aren't on like a dietary label, for instance, um, which are really important. Okay. And which you only really find in animal products or you find in much higher amounts in animal products. So some of the things that they found in this study, for instance, uh, cysteamine, for instance, 
or spermidine. I mean, that's like a nucleotide, right? Something that you don't ever find on, on the nu- nutritional labels kind of thing. But these, all of these nu- nutritional uh, constituents are, are generally very important and they're only kind of learning just how important they are now. So even if you can, uh, you can perfectly replicate the quantity of, even when it comes to B vitamins, right? If you can perfectly replicate, replicate the quantity of B12, what type of B12 are they actually using as well? I'd hazard a guess that they're probably using cyanocobalamin, which is a very cheap form of B12. It's generally what you find in cheap supplements, and it's generally what they would add to food. Now, that's a completely inferior form of B12 compared with what you would find in, in animal food. So even on the level of like specific nutrients, it really like it's really important like how that's found in the food and in what form that's found in the food. I mean, again, this is pretty obvious stuff, right? If you ask a child, you just go to elementary school, you ask a child, you know, are these two the same thing? Well, they're made out of different stuff. Yeah. The kid would say, no, they're not the same. So I think it's much ado about nothing, but at least we've got a study to kind of say, yeah. and I don't think it's going to change the mind of any vegans personally, but, uh, no. At least it's on paper. Yeah. Well, um, they did finish it up by saying that they shouldn't be viewed as nutritionally interchangeable. But that's not to say that one is not better than the other. <laughs> <laughs> and let's just end it at that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, let's do another non-COVID one. Let's uh, talk about the uh, Johnson & Johnson uh, recall. Mm-hmm. On what the vaccine? No, <laughs> no. Don't think about. Sorry, Johnson my Johnson bad. About the vaccine. This is Johnson and Johnson, the safe suntan lotion manufacturing people. Oh, oh, not the baby powder manufacturer. Oh, don't think about the baby powder. <laughs> Just think about the safe sunscreens. Mm. So anyway, Johnson and Johnson is getting sued again. Are they getting sued again? <laughs> yep, yeah, they're getting sued again. <laughs> this time it's over sunscreen. <laughs> Anybody want to talk about that? <laughs> I'll talk about that. So, um, well, it's a recall. They've had to recall five spray sunscreens due to the presence of cancer causing chemical in some samples. I love how they word these things. Uh, Mm -hmm. Benzene is the cancer causing chemical. And so the lawsuit was filed by Johanna Dominguez and Sharon Meir, the U.S. District Court of Northern California not surprising there. Uh, They seek an injunction and damages on behalf of consumers who've purchased these affected products. Now, it seems that Aveeno product plus refresh aerosol sunscreen and four Neutrogena sunscreens, uh, Beach Defense aerosol sunscreen. Oh, that's my dog, sorry. And uh, cool dry aerosol sunscreen. And... uh, They have been recalled as of May, uh, independent lab testing for having high levels of benzene. And they're saying that the benzene can cause leukemia or other cancers after long-term exposure, high levels. So they're not saying that it's in the product, but it's used in the manufacturing of the product. So they don't add it as an ingredient, in other words. 
It just Correct. ends up in there in some mystery mystery fashion. Yeah, why, they're saying why would they use it to <laughs> things that you put on your skin? Yeah, well, essentially, it's it's the the spray type aerosol. So it must be however they get it to fly out of the can in a <laughs> magic way. Right. I mean, in this article um, that Damien has up, they're talking about how, oh, well, if your children can't stand still, you know, probably best you don't use the spray sunscreen, but you just apply it topically. What's so fascinating about this, and I shared with my co-host before we came on the show today, is that we've been talking about the dangers of chemical-based sunscreen on this show since we started, but SOT.net has been carrying articles as far back as 2006 about these types of chemicals being in sunscreen. So my guess is that Johnson & Johnson knew, just like they did about asbestos and talcum powder, and because this California-based organization decided to actually do their own due diligence, now they're having to recall these products. So for those of you out there who have any questions about the safety of sunscreen, I recommend you just type into the SOT search engine sunscreen and you will come up with more than you ever wanted to know. One article that I do recommend is called Toxic Death Cream, How Sunscreen Could Be Causing Cancer, Not the Sun. And it goes through kind of oxybenzene, all these different fragrances, palmates that are in sunscreens that actually do have very negative long-term side effects. Um, You know, I feel like we're preaching to the choir here, but you know, wear a hat, wear a shirt. Um, I don't know. <laughs> As somebody who's out in the sun a lot, I don't use sunscreen. Haven't probably since I started reading these articles on SOT years ago. <laughs> but um, I just found it interesting that uh, this information did come out. Um, another good uh, reference for people who are interested, who need sunscreen, maybe you have uh, very sensitive skin, Um The Environmental Working Group does have a website uh, that you can look up all the sunscreens that are on the market and they rate them based on toxicity. Uh, It's called Skin Deep and very helpful. They don't only do sunscreen, they do a lot of other products as well. But like Tiffany said in our last show, you know, a little cursory search, maybe not on Google, but you'll find this information has been out there for a long time. I almost wonder if this uh, recall is just kind of a distraction from the whole, you know, jab fest that's going on right now across the world. So, well, also these recalls make it look like they, they care. Care. Yeah. And it's kind of like, like you said, they've known this has been there for a long time. You know, this isn't, yeah. this isn't really news to them. They weren't shocked. Like, oh my God, there's benzene in our product. It's like, no, they knew it was in there. It's just, they've been caught. So they're recalling it now. Makes them look like, oh no, we're good people. We're, uh, we care about you. So we're going to do a recall. We didn't even have yeah. to, but we did. Yeah. Cause they stress that it's a voluntary recall. So look at us. We're going above and beyond. <laughs> exactly. We didn't because go above and beyond you. to make sure our products don't have cancer causing agents in it, but we'll go above and beyond and tell people to pull them off the shelves. Yeah. And one last thing they were saying that um, 
and this is on the Env environmental working group website. They talked about how nine out of the 14 recalled products advertise an SPF of over 50. So it seems like the higher FPS, SPF, the more possibility of contamination. Mm -hmm. Always unfolding. Yeah. Yep. Just in time for summer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess uh, we'll dip our toes into something that's a little bit more COVID related. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> Just for a no. little bit. Yeah. We I can't refuse. help it. It's not like there's, <laughs> it's not going on all over the world or anything. Uh, so uh, this next article comes from The Blaze, actually, written by Paul Saka. Uh, he's talking about uh, a study that found high carbon dioxide levels in kids who wear face masks. Wow, that's wow. also a shock. Stunning, stunning news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is another one that you can put under the category of absolutely obvious news. Yeah, and since it's pretty much agreed upon, even in mainstream news, that children aren't really affected by COVID, the fact that uh, school districts and authorities uh, higher up are insisting that it's perfectly normal children don't have anything wrong with them go around and you know deprive themselves of proper oxygen and uh breathe in all the the bugs and the moisture and the nastiness that can be found on mass um so they did this study they said they found that the children can inhale an unacceptable carbon dioxide level just after wearing a mask for three whole minutes. So uh, regular air oxygen that we all breathe normally and have been for time immemorial before this mass madness started uh, happening, uh, it's 0.04% of carbon dioxide by volume. So the limit for closed rooms is 0.2% or 2,000 parts per million. And anything higher than 2,000 parts per million is unacceptable. So what they found in these kids is that after three minutes, they found between 13,120 and 13,910 parts per million, <laughs> more than six times the maximum carbon dioxide exposure. So I don't know how many carb, how many percentage points higher than normal that is, but uh, it's shocking. Yeah. And this is just three minutes of wearing a mask, let alone six hours all day at school. There was one child with twenty five thousand parts per million. Ugh. Yeah. They said that the average time that they'd wear it per day was approximately four point five hours. Mm. That's brutal. Which is, which is, I think, a low approximation if you think about children who have to ride school buses, right? Because mm -hmm. they got to wear it on buses. Maybe Fair they point. meet their mom at their job and they have to wear it inside. So I think that they're being a little cautious in that sense. Like, you know, realistically, probably six to eight hours a day, these children are wearing these, depending on what state you're in or country and how enforced it is. That alone should be, I mean, I know I've said it before, it's just child abuse. I mean, you are basically depriving children of oxygen, which causes brain damage. 
yeah. straight or up. something they're not even at risk for. Yes. Yeah. That's the crazy thing oh. about it. Yeah. It's so amazing. the researchers. Oh. No, go, go ahead. ahead oh, I was no, just, just going to say what they found. <laughs> what they found uh, from carbon dioxide being built up in your your bloodstream. Uh, acute hypercapnia, which can cause delirium, paranoia, depression, confusion. Severe hypercapnia can cause hand tremors, sudden muscle jerks, seizures, headaches, nausea, vision problems, var varicose veins, and coma if left untreated. Yeah. It's amazing how all well these uh, things they've instituted for the lockdowns and whatnot, social distancing, are really, really bad for people. Mm -hmm. Like, really bad for people. The crazy thing, too, is that it seems like the masks have kind of become, I don't know if, like, the kids just think they're cool or something like that, but when they kind of lifted mask mandates in certain places, I saw a lot of people still wearing them, and, like, groups of kids, you know, mm -hmm. where you'd think, like, teenagers would be rebelling against this kind of stuff and, like, thinking that it's all bullshit and, and saying, I'm not doing what my parents tell me and not wearing the masks. It seems like they're actually more into it than even necessary. Hmm. Is that a thing? Are masks cool among the kids? I've heard that, but it's not anything that I've actually witnessed personally. Hmm. But also the mindset around it, like I've just interacted with some people who have said that their grandchildren come to visit them and they're very happy, the adults that they're vaccinated, but they still have their grandchildren wear masks while they're visiting with them because, mm -hmm. you know, they could be the spreaders and, you know, you have to really, I mean, for me, I have to really just like bite my tongue and almost wish I had a mask on. So my facial expression doesn't go, <laughs> you know, I mean, so it is a, as I said from the beginning, a mind virus more than anything. And to listen to people's work around and the reasoning behind it. I mean, I'm still seeing children with face masks on with their parents that do not have face masks on, which what? is shocking. Yes. Because they want to keep them safe because they haven't been vaccinated. That's what I had one oh. woman told me. Oh, that that makes sense. Yes. And in, in, in their mind, and they have their own type of logic, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, well, since we're back to skirting around COVID and talking about children, we might as well talk about the increased number of cases of respiratory syntitial virus, or RSV. Uh, it's a virus that is spread uh, a lot amongst children. Uh, it causes cold-like symptoms, but it can be serious for infants and for elderly people. But now this particular article that I'm looking at is from AP, so grain of salt here, folks. <laughs> um, they said they noticed that as pandemic restrictions ease, you dirty little people who want to go out and, you know, socialize with your friends and family and get some fresh air and actually live your life. Uh, RSV is coming back because the pandi pandemic restrictions have been eased. Um, they're saying that they haven't seen uh, cases in July or even like mostly in the summer months. So, um, uh, they're finding an increase in cases in the South and in other states in the U.S. And 
So yeah, RSB is now striking children in greater numbers than it did last year because people are going out. I love the way they put it that way. You know, yeah. that it's like, it's because people are going out again. It's like, you people are bad. It's not because <laughs> they locked everybody away for a year. That's got nothing to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, 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 how silly is that? Um, it's like the, the immune system is a muscle. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's what everyone's been saying or people with the brain have been saying anyway, this past like 16 months is that the immune system is a muscle that needs to be constantly worked on it's like if you don't work a muscle what happens well it tends to um atrophy break down and become atrophied right and that's because you're not using it and that's kind of similar as a kind of analogy how you can think of the immune system it's not constantly sampling the environment not constantly sampling different virus different bacteria fungi etc building up antibodies building up strength being challenged all of the time then, um, then it becomes weaker and it becomes dysfunctional. And it means that uh, when you are, when you do come into contact with a relatively benign virus, well, first of all, you're more likely to d- display symptoms from it. It's also a likelihood that, I mean, it's potentially going to be a lot worse than it ordinarily was. You know, if people have had like 16 months or so of, of kind of mollycoddling their immune system, so to speak, then um, then it might might be the case that they're more susceptible or it might not. It might just be like, okay, yeah, so people have got this uh, respiratory virus and yeah, they get it and they need to deal with it. It's like not the end of the world, you know? It, that needs to happen at some point mm-hmm. unless people just want to stay locked down for the rest of like existence. Like we have to start like mingling again. People have to mingle. They have to pass viruses and stuff. Like that's normal. Mm -hmm. Two years ago, no one would have batted an eyelid about this. Yeah, It's bizarre. We cannot live in a bubble. I know there are people who would like for humanity to remain in a tiny little bubble, but uh, it's not possible. It's not going to happen. And people just need to grow up. You got a little cold. You got a little fever. You got some runny nose. Stop being such a baby about it. (laughs) And as Tiffany will say, stay home, go to bed, and don't get out of bed till you're better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, so they're calling this an unusual surge in cases. And, you know, it just seems a little coincidental that now that the uh, vaccines are getting approved for kids at younger and younger ages, they're going to try and go down to at least six months, be able to give these kids these jabs. Um, so RSV, you know, you don't want that to exacerbate anything that might come along if your kid were to catch, you know, COVID or you just want to make sure everybody's protected. So Somehow, I think that they're going to manage to wrangle this into a reason why kids should get the COVID jab. Hmm. I don't know. It just seems a little convenient to me. (laughs) Yeah. I'm with you on that. Yeah. But, okay. Um, Do we have... Oh, yeah. Let's do a non-COVID one here. Let's talk about the dire straits of all the Frenchies out there in the world because... (laughs) France is one of the largest agricultural sectors of Europe. They're kind of a growing powerhouse over in Europe. 
But uh, there's a study that found that everybody practically in France is contaminated with heavy metals such as arsenic and mercury, and that those levels are higher than in other European countries. So that makes me feel that, you know, there's arsenic and mercury in people in other countries, but France is, is bearing the brunt of it because of their high agricultural output. So this is in, uh, found in kids and adults, and they checked it with the data that they collected uh, about 10 years ago. So they found 27 potentially harmful metals um, in blood and urine and in hair. Did they actually say in the article that it was because of the agriculture? Well, I think you're right. I think I do think that's, that's why it is. Yeah. But they blamed that, it on. That was mine. Yeah, that was your okay. Because yeah, yeah, they I was I was they blamed it on smoking and the consumption of fish and seafood products. And I was like, give me a break. <laughs> that doesn't explain why it's higher in France than it is in any other. You know, France isn't as high. I wouldn't think a fish and seafood eater as something like, you know, Italy or Greece or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the smoking, all, all European countries have a lot of smoking. Like, it, that, that, that doesn't explain anything. So, I, yeah, the agricultural thing does make sense. I, I would think that that would be what it was from. Like, you know, all the mm-hmm. agricultural products that are sprayed all over the stuff. There's tons of heavy metals in that stuff. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing would be to do a comparison with the U.S., because, yeah. uh, you know, being in the agriculture industry for many years, like France is actually really great in a lot of ways as far as limiting and, you know, having rules against it where the U.S. is just a free for all, mm-hmm. especially the mercury and the arsenic. Having been a farmer and been exposed to those things and having very high levels of them in my body from working in the soil. I will say you can do a chelation, like heavy metal detox, and it does help. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I love how that, like you were saying, that that article doesn't really address the agriculture that kind of put it on other things where it's like, what? Yeah, <laughs> smoking and seafood. Give me a break. <laughs> well, that really wouldn't explain why well, it's fine found in children either children mm-hmm. typically they don't, don't smoke, smoke. <laughs> but i guess you could blame the second and third hand smoke for that oh yeah undoubtedly <laughs> yeah so is there any other article anybody is really uh dying to talk about i think there are a couple more maybe on our list but uh, <laughs> are we at are we at, are we at time? I don't know. Are we at time right now, or are we? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, um, yeah, we have time for one more if you wanted to. Yeah, I guess. But I guess we can talk about one more. There's only one left. Should uh, we talk about the yeah, the, the flu, the disappearing yeah. flu? Yeah, the disappearing and conveniently reappearing flu. It seems like it's gonna be this this season. Mm. So, uh, so last year. And we've done a show on this one as well about how flu virtually disappeared like all over the world. Like, you know, very small numbers of confirmed flu cases or up to no, no confirmed flu cases uh, in the flu season of 2019-2020. So now um, this seemed a little bit scaremongery this article from the scientists 
Um, so they're wondering now that the is the flu going to cause something extremely horrible to happen this year? Because since people have been locked down and they surmise that the lockdowns prevented the transmission of the flu last year, now that the lockdowns are being lifted, perhaps that the flu is going to come back and like really go to town on people this yeah. season. It's, it, I think it's possible. I mean, yeah. first of all, like we said on our show that we did about the disappearing flu, it's, it's un, I have very little doubt in my mind that a lot of the normal flu cases were actually just being grouped in with COVID cases. And that was part of the reason we saw such a dramatic drop in flu numbers is that everybody who came into the hospital with the flu is like, oh, they've got COVID, throw them in the COVID ward. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't really know how, if the flu actually literally disappeared or mm. if it was actually more prevalent than was thought. But it does seem likely that it was less than it was just because nobody was coming into contact with each other. And it does make sense to me that you know, there are consequences for locking people up for a year um, without having contact with each other, as we said on this show. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, you come into contact with the flu after you didn't get exposed to it for an entire year. Yeah, it might hit you harder. I could, I could mm-hmm. see that happening. Yes. But um, last year, I seem to recall that they were wondering if the combination of flu and COVID could produce this perfect storm of sickness, hmm. but then the flu failed to perform as they dreaded that it would, which oh, is kind yeah, of a that. good thing. So this year, it's all they're about saying the, the same thing. <laughs> I, I, uh, I see I, what you're saying. have a hard time following where, where this is going to go and how it's actually going to be, I don't know. I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, maybe it is going to be the year of the, the COVID flu super combo. Yeah. But again, is this just more fear mongering? Hmm. You know, you can't put the fear mongering past them. All I can say is wait and see and do everything you've always done or more if you didn't do anything before to keep your body healthy. Mm-hmm. Make sure you get enough sleep. Make sure you're eating the proper foods, fresh foods, uh, not a lot of processed junk. Uh, no fake Try meat. to decrease, yeah, no try to decrease <laughs> the stress in your life and, you know, chill out as much as you can. Spend time with the people who are willing to spend time with you and try not to be afraid because fear is definitely something that spreads probably even worse than viruses do. And breaks down your immune system. Yep. So, any anything else anybody wanted to add? I think that might be a good place to stop. Okay. So, I guess that is our show for today. We will be back next week with another show. If you feel so inclined, leave a comment, like, share it, and uh, have a great day, and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody.